Father, thank you for this day and for your word. We thank you for your love, for leading and guiding us into a greater relationship, a stronger relationship with you, walk in authority, the authority that you, Lord Jesus, have given us as your, as your disciples, children of God, empowered, healed, blessed, loved children of God. We thank you, Lord, for growing us today, feeding us your precious manna, in Jesus' name, amen. Titus 2.11, that's after First and Second Timothy, in the back, before Hebrews. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Verse 15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Praise be to God. The promise of our Lord's return is very comforting. No matter how bad things get, we always have the promise that God is going to send His Son, Jesus Christ, back, return to the earth in total triumph and power. Amen? And that alone is enough to inspire hope in all of those who love Him and know Him. And empower us to do His will until He returns. And it is sometimes hard. And if you pay attention, this world is only becoming worse. As His return uh, is becoming evidently closer and sooner than ever before. And if you're not careful, it's easy to get discouraged and to lose hope. I remember knowing the Lord, coming to know the Lord, but still feeling very helpless and hopeless and trying to sort it all out. One day at a gas pump, I called out to him, I cried out to him, God, I'm seeking you and looking at a sunset right in front of me. And as if someone tapped me on the shoulder, I turned around and there was the most gorgeous rainbow from end to end, which you seldom see. And it was obvious that he was speaking to me. Just to know that He is there. 
to, that he's he's still God and no matter what sort of tribulations and trials and situations and circumstances we might go through that God is still on his throne and Jesus is still going to return for us is comforting I know our mentor Andrew Womack has a similar experience about when he was in the army he was one of those that went off to Vietnam and saw some real action and he was a chaplain's assistant but uh, nevertheless he, he he tells the story of how the when they were training up the uh, the I want to say drill instructor I know that's uh, that's the marine so it's probably the sergeant or whatever loved to loved to humiliate him because they knew he was a Christian and he stand him up in front of everybody and make. It was tough enough, you know, listening to all these guys. Every other word is a, is curse word, profanity, talking as terribly as they can, talking about things they shouldn't and doing things they shouldn't. And he'd get up and he'd, he'd make these guys recite to, to, uh, to Andrew what they had done the night before and who they'd done it to and how they'd done these things and cussing and all these sort of things. It just made it almost unbearable. And he just tell him, preacher, I love to see you uh, blush, you know. But he remembers one time they had been out in the field and they push you, you know, you run and you and you grind it out and you till you're they make it so that you are so fatigued that you're mentally, emotionally, physically at the end, you know. They push you to your limits, so and that's for your training, so that. They know what you're made of in case you're ever in a real situation like that. Anyway, he remembers doing that and he was like crawling under the wire or whatever he was doing through the mud and he remembers he couldn't hardly take it anymore. He didn't know how he was going to go on and a similar thing. He looked up and he saw a sun, beautiful sunset and he, that was just a moment that he knew God was there. He knew God was still in control. He knew God loved him and was his father. And he is still right there. No matter what you're going through, how bad it gets, nothing has changed with him. He's not moved by any of these things. And he's faithful. Matthew twelve thirty six. I was thinking about because you can you listen to people these days and some of the things that are just you know like the dividing lines with even in with the political system you look around and as a Christian there are just things that are just so commonplace now in our society. And they won't be satisfied until everyone is forced to call what we call evil good. 
And you think, how can this be? They, they must really know that even though we're tolerant and we would never, unlike, you know, if they were under Sharia or if they were over under an Islam or something like that, which would be very um, legalistic in the sense that you would be killed for some of these things, you know, and very unforgiving. That, on the other hand, Christians, while we will never call evil good, we will always hate the sin, but we'll always love the sinner. We'll always be supportive of that person, although not supportive of their sin. But we separate the two. And that's the most loving thing anyone can do for them because for us to call that which God calls evil good would be leading them wrong. But continuing to love them just as Jesus loved the woman caught in the sin of adultery and loved her and and didn't condemn her, but that's what gave her the power to, to do what he told her at the end, go and sin no more. But they don't see it that way. Because of the fact that we say we represent God and we know God and we won't call what they call good, good, they hate us. And Jesus said, they hate you, it's because they hated me first. But you look around and it's almost unbearable. You see the the real the genocide of millions upon millions of unborn children. And now, back when the time that the law that allows for that, the ruling on that law was made, the science was not accurate. And I guess there was a sort of an excuse for saying that I that they didn't know that that was a real person, a real child in there at the time. But now they know. Now there's no no doubt about it. But they don't care. Their minds are made up. And you see these things and it's almost unbearable for those who love God. You just want to say, what, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Don't you care what God says? Don't you want to know the truth? There's a scripture that says, "Do I, am I therefore now you're become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And that's how you feel all the time. But look here in Matthew chapter 12, the 36th verse. Jesus speaking, he said, I tell you on the day of judgment, People will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. God's not missing anything. You know? He doesn't miss anything. We're not losing by forgiving people. Sometimes you feel like you're losing when you have to forgive. But God hasn't missed any things. And when we, when we forgive, we're not saying it's okay. We're just letting ourselves off the hook. We're letting ourselves out of the prison of our own construction. And saying, I, I'm going to live free. Free of hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness. And I'm going to trust God with this thing. Knowing 
that he will handle everything in his way in his time and nothing is missed. And I'm going to pray for that person meanwhile because the best thing that can happen to them is that God get a hold of them and change their heart because we were all in need of that at one time. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I look around and you see how how ungodly we know because we know the truth now you can't unlearn the truth but I remember when there was a time when I was aligned on the wrong side of things and I was just as sure as these people are that I was right then I remember I mean I was I was active in that uh, that side of the world I was a delegate to the state uh, Democrat convention back in the Back in the day, and I was even on the nominating committee. And I remember saying things and hearing them say things that I just agreed with and went along with. Like, oh, you can't legislate morality. You know? It's the silly things that that I bought into, which is true. You can't legislate morality. But when it comes to saving lives, we have a responsibility But there's scriptures that apply even to that. There's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it's the way of death. It leads to death. That's Proverbs 14, 12, and I think Proverbs 16, 25, I think they're the same. And that's what it is. They, you, can, you, can, you can think you're awfully right, can't you? When you look at a thing and you just try to figure it out on your own apart from God. You can make up your mind and entire groups and cultures can make up their mind about a thing. When they haven't included God in their thought process. And they'll come up with a conclusion that seems right to everybody. Seems fair. Seems good. And it can be just as wrong and ungodly. As anything you've ever heard. And that's what's happened. In our culture. There's a way that seems right. But its end is death. Its end is destruction. Why? Because Jeremiah 10.23 says. It is not within man to direct his own steps. We're not supposed to come up with those sorts of conclusions. And determinations on our own. Apart from the counsel of God. And when we do. We're going to screw everything up. And then you, then there are people who having done this for a prolonged amount of time have built their entire lives and worlds based on a lie. And now you can't even talk to them. It would be too painful, too hard for them to undo everything that they've done and built upon this false narrative or this lie. And so they go on. And then what do they do? Just what the Bible says they do in the end times. They go and they find somebody who will agree with them. They find teachers who will teach in agreement with their way of life. The things they've decided. They search out for themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Even though it be a lie. 
But we have to continue in hope. Our hope is in the Lord. And we know that Jesus Christ is going to return for us. But meanwhile, He tells us to press on. To continue doing His will and His way. I love the scriptures in John chapter 14. Jesus on the the night of His betrayal, He was teaching the disciples. And He was... Telling them about many things. His heart was full. Can you imagine? Knowing that he was about to leave this earth. For a very long time. In earth years. And everything he had done. In this little three and a half year ministry. He was trying to have a, a refresher course. And to pass the baton as it were. To these 12 men who weren't ready. They weren't ready. It's comforting to me sometimes because I know it's true that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And they were available. They were there and he was talking to them. And I just want to read from John chapter 14. Jesus said, let not If I tell you, don't let something, don't let this or that happen, don't do this. There's a part for you to play then, isn't there? If I'm telling you not to let it happen, then I, then it doesn't, I'm not just wishing you well. I'm telling you that you have a, you have to watch out for something, right? You have a part to play. There's a relationship here. So he starts out, let not your hearts be troubled. So there's a responsibility you know, I saw somebody said the other day, worry is like praying really hard against what you want to happen. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take to myself, I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas chimed in and said, Lord, we don't know. How do we know where you're going? How can we know the way? And I love this scripture in verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So he says, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas says, no, we don't. He, and then Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So there's Jesus calling himself God again. Muhammad didn't do that. Buddha didn't do that. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? He says, Show us the Father. And he says, Don't you know me? Again. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. And they'd seen him walk on the water. Raise the dead. Open blind eyes. Straighten out the cripple's twisted body. Multiply a little bit of food to feed 5,000. He says, if you don't believe for any other reason, isn't isn't that enough for you? (laughs) But then I love what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you in verse 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you're not having a lot of success with that, I recommend you meditate on it until you believe it. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. What's that mean? He dwells with you and will be in you. He's referring to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. At that time, they had not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. They had been given authority to go and do the Lord's will. But they really weren't saved like you are if you have been born again and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They had been given a special endowment of the Holy Ghost to do certain applications, just like a few people were in the Old Testament. That's why you don't hear things like resist the devil and he will flee from you in the Old Testament because they had no defense against the Holy Spirit. That's why the law was in place for a time and they had the protection of God If they obeyed God and those who entertained the devil to the extent that he entered in, you know, all sin begins with a thought. You can think about things as long as you don't meditate on them and, you know, and you cast them off. Like we say, you can, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest on your head. That would be an example of you thinking on a a negative thought, a worrisome thought, a sinful thought, and then just letting it abide there and just keep on meditating on it. And then what happens eventually, just like someone who toys with the idea of sexual sin of some kind, or uh, identity crisis, They think on it long enough, they begin to indulge this 
this idea, then at some point the, the enemy ushers in a spirit because you basically sent out an invitation. And the enemy will come in and take advantage of that and then build a stronghold and then you have a full-blown... Then you need deliverance. But he was saying he's dwelling with you because the Holy Spirit was amongst them and Jesus was operating in the Holy Ghost. He was the only one who was baptized with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized in the Jordan River. And at the same time, he had the baptism of the Holy Spirit when the dove came or the Holy Spirit came like a dove and lit on him and remained. And he was saying, will be in you. He's referring to the day of Pentecost, which would come 50 days later after his resurrection. I will not leave you as orphans. He was leaving, but he's saying, I'm still going to be here. And this is what he's referring to. This helper, this paraclete, this one who comes alongside and helps us in our journey, empowers us. That's the Holy Spirit. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live and also you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is He who loves me. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments now. It goes much further and broader, doesn't it? It's the law of love. The law of forgiveness. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. That's the Holy Spirit. Making this body, this temporary physical body, into the temple of the living God. Now, believe it or not, there are people that I know Who would say, hey, William, remember this and remember that and remember what we... No, I do remember, but that that William is dead. Oh, yeah, I hear you. You don't want to think about it. No, it's not that. He's really dead. And now, the life that I live in this mortal body... It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, this Holy Spirit who he was talking about on the night of his betrayal, who was going to come and make his dwelling place with them and in them, that same power that raised him from the dead lives in me and gives life to this mortal body. I really did die with Christ. And now... I'm supernatural. (laughs) Every believer, once they're truly born again, 
has died with Christ, and now the life they live is no longer them that live, but Christ who lives in them. And he's wanting to work his way out. He's wanting to, that to be evident. The terrible accident I told you all about a while ago, my nephew is so moved, so moved. He can't quit talking about the woman, the survivor. Her husband passed away. He was a minister. He was 70. They were blown up. But the woman is, was in bandages in the hospital, swollen. She's going to live. But she was encouraging all the hundreds of people who were there to comfort them and mourn with them. She was encouraging them all. Because she lives out her Christian faith. She said he was prepared for this. Don't you worry about him. And she never once said a negative thing. Or shed a tear in self-pity. And my nephew is so moved by this. He, he loves the Lord. But this is, I believe this changed him. It touched him so deeply that he really, he said, Uncle William, I see I just see how, you know, she really, I said, that's what the Lord wants for all of us people. To live it to the extent that we people can visibly see Him living through us. That, that was Christ in her that you saw. You saw the hope of the coming Lord in her. A confident expectation of good from God, no matter what the situation or circumstances and that's what he wants all of us to be doing. Because then we provoke those that don't have him to envy, to jealousy, to want what we have. A good kind of a jealousy because they're, they're, they'll become jealous for God, to want God. And why is it okay to be jealous for God? Because that's the one thing that everybody does need. And we can give him all the God we have and never deplete him by one ounce or drop. There's an endless supply of God to give. We need to be friends with the Holy Spirit. That's why I was reading through chapter 14. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So when you read these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you're reading the life, the words of Jesus. Then you're just going about your business. And you run into a situation where you need help. You don't understand what to do. You don't know the answer. And you say, Lord, what does He tell us to pray for? Wisdom. Lord, I need wisdom. And He'll give it to you. As long as you believe and don't doubt, He'll give it to you. And He won't be mad at you for asking. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit will all of a sudden remind you of something that Jesus said. And it'll be perfect for that situation. It will apply to your very situation and circumstance. That's what He's saying here. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said then my favorite scripture, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. There's our part again. 
Don't let worry and fear come in. Fear is a liar. Fear is not of God. Worry is not of God. We are to have a confident hope, an expectation of good from God because He loves us. He will withhold no good thing from them that love Him. And we have to continue in hope. Winning souls should be the goal of every Christian because this is a terminal situation we're in. We're only here for a flicker. And if you're blessed, if you're important enough and loved enough to be have been saved by God, you should want that for everyone. And when someone passes away and you're not sure if they knew God, you, that should bother you. That's how serious it is. Because without God, there's no hope in the world. And hopelessness is the cause of, remember like last week we talked about, all the depression and the things that people struggle with. They're blaming the, it's like they have it all backwards. It's like, it's like seeing a, a tree that's dying and then going trying to treat each one of the leaves. Well, the leaves are just symptomatic of the real root cause, which is way down deep. And hopelessness is the cause. It's what Psalm 42 and 43 tell us. Three times the psalmist asks, Why are you so down, my soul? And each time the Lord answers and says, Because you're not hoping in God. That's the answer. That's the answer. It'll fix all these afflictions that people struggle with. That if the hopelessness is what's caused the chemical reactions in these people's bodies and minds. The hopelessness and not their circumstances. But we have to be more influenced by God than by our circumstances. Victory for every part of our lives is available. God has already provided it. I just want to read one more thing and then we'll be done. We started out talking about how we can always be hopeful. We can always be optimistic in the Lord because no matter what, we have the promises of, of His return. The Lord Jesus Christ will return for us. Turn to Revelation 21 in the back of your Bible. I love reading this. Anytime I've begun to focus on the world more than the things that are above, which is always a mistake. I'll turn back here and listen and look at the words that the Apostle John wrote when he received the revelation of, of God. Chapter 21 of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, 
I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And I love the beginning of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. No longer will there be Anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen.